Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to a special edition of Everything Clemson Sports Podcast with Jeff Broderick. Down here where I live in the low country, we had to evacuate due to the hurricane, so we are behind. And today we're going to get caught up and go over some thoughts I had for the first few games, and we're going to go over some of the thoughts I had for um, the weekend in college football. This past weekend in college football was crazy. Just going to give you some of my thoughts of what I see and kind of what I see in the future the next coming weeks as we head towards the uh, middle of the season in college football. Great, great time in Clemson on Saturday. The game was awesome. Defense was great. And Clemson is just off to the exact type of start that we expected from our Tigers. So we're going to get into that. Let's start off going over the first two games Clemson has played this year. First of all, the Georgia Tech game. The Georgia Tech game is exactly how I expected it to turn out. Um, I know people are upset or frustrated with the fact that Clemson had some interceptions in the game, some turnovers. ETN turned over the ball one time. Trevor Lawrence threw two picks. But what I, what I would say to people is this. Georgia Tech had a completely different scheme than Clemson has seen before. I mean, they're, they have a new coach, different scheme, different format, different formations. The Clemson coaches and players went into this game blind as to what they could expect from Georgia Tech. Um, Georgia Tech was um, coming into this game uh, really uh, an, you know, an unknown to the Clemson coaching staff. But despite that, Clemson was able to figure out what they could do against their defense, what their defense was allowing them to do, and took full advantage of that. And the good thing of the game against Georgia Tech is you, you really didn't have to show anything to Texas A&M. You didn't really have to show anything that was um, any exotic formations on defense. You really didn't have to show any exotic formations on offense um, when you played Georgia Tech. So Texas A&M went into the game with Clemson really with a, a game film that I think really didn't mean anything for them. The Georgia State game, what, what I love the most about it was the physicality of the offensive line. The pancake box by Carmen Jackson. Carmen Jackson played a, a hell of a game. Um, that's a kid that, if he continues to play at that level, he is going to be a first-round draft pick in a few years. Now, he's a big kid. He probably still needs to lose another 15 pounds. Probably needs to play at around three. Um, 30, 325, 330, as opposed to, you know, in a 345, 350 range. But he is athletic, and you could see that in the block. If it weren't for him, Travis Etienne doesn't have a 90-yard touchdown. Um, you could see during that block just how athletic he was. He's running downfield just looking for somebody to hit. He hits the guy, knocks the guy down, pancakes him, and Etienne just goes right around him for a touchdown. There was another play where he knocked two guys down, pancaked two guys within a second. You're talking about a 280-pound lineman and a 250-pound linebacker. He just tossed them to the ground within a second of each other. That's what I love from the Georgia Tech game, the physicality of the offensive line, over 400 yards of rushing in the game. ETN has just 12 carries for 205 yards. I mean, at the end of the day, what more could you ask for in a game like that? Now, I know some people are frustrated with Trevor Lawrence's picks, but what I would say about the first pick is I believe that Georgia Tech was was able to read the formation 
and knew exactly what play was coming, and that they just made a great play. They just made a great call. If if they if Trevor Lawrence would have changed that play and thrown a, a different pass, it would have been a totally different outcome. It was just a great play by George Tech. It's no different than what AJ Terrell did in the national championship game. It was a great play, just reading the play that's come coming based on the formations, just taking a guess and guessing correctly. You guess incorrectly there, you're going to give up a long play. But if you guess correctly, you could possibly have a touchdown, as A.J. Terrell did in the national championship game. The difference in this game is when Trevor Lawrence threw that interception, he immediately made a beeline for the player on Georgia Tech and hit him hard, knocked him out of bounds at the three-yard line. And then the Clemson defense, four new defensive linemen, two new linebackers starting, a new a new cornerback starting, shuts them down in four plays within three yards of the goal line. And that's when I really said, I said, you know, this year is going to be potentially just as good as last year's team when I saw that. Because when you lose four defensive linemen and you're able to physically maul another team and keep them out of the end zone. And I knew when we got a third down, they weren't going to score. I knew that Georgia Tech was not going to score. And what about the play of Tyler Davis during the game? Oh, my gosh. He was pushing people through the backfield with no regard. Reckless abandon. There, there was a play where he threw two offensive linemen down to get to the quarterback. Just an unbelievable, unbelievable performance. So far this season, Clemson has not given up 300 yards, folks, in either of the first two games. And I don't see that changing, at least for the next two games. North Carolina has a very good freshman quarterback, so that might, um, you know, they might put up some yards and some points against Clemson. But I, I definitely don't see that changing this week against Cuse, and I don't see that changing against Charlotte. Clemson's defense may once again be the best or one of the best defenses in college football. What I also liked about the uh, Georgia Tech football game was the play of Chad Smith. And Chad Smith came to play against Texas A&M as well. When you listen to all the offseason pundits and so-called experts, when they mentioned the great linebackers at Clemson, Chad Smith was never named. He was never discussed. He was never talked about. I heard his name called a lot, and I saw him all over the football against Georgia Tech. And then he had another great game this past Saturday or yesterday against Texas A&M. So what a way to start off the season with Chad Smith. If if Chad Smith is this good the rest of the year, then Clemson's linebacker core is the best linebacker core we've had in over a decade. I mean, you add, add him to what the other two are doing. Clemson is going to be a dominant, dominant defense. Heard his name called a lot again yesterday. And you could see him even when he wasn't making the tackle. He was impacting the play. He was impacting the play a lot yesterday against Texas A&M. Now, as far as the Texas A&M game goes, what a great scheme by Brent Venables to having the 3-2-5 look or the 3-3-4 look on defense as opposed to having the four-down lineman. I was telling my friend Jordan, after the game, that the more I think about it, the more I think they did that simply because of who the quarterback was at A&M. They watched last year's tape. They saw what went wrong, and they figured out what they had to do. I noticed a lot of times Clemson defensive ends were, or defense line would rush the quarterback, but then they would stop. And they would just contain Mon because if Mon's contained, 
he's not as accurate with his passing and he tends to make mistakes. And he, 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 he makes those mistakes. Now, when he's allowed to run around and get outside, he makes great plays. And that's what happened last year. I noticed multiple times Xavier Thomas, Logan Rudolph, Foster, all of them would stop their rush. Also, the Clemson defensive ends did a great job following the running backs. Texas A&M does a lot of those. They, they pass the ball to the running backs a lot. The running backs and their tight end probably make up 50% of their passing offense in a lot of these games. The, the running backs and the tight ends at, at um, Texas A&M did not have a great game receiving the ball because Clemson players were with them the whole time down in the second half when the ball game was pretty much over with. They put up a lot of their yardage. But if you look at the, the, at the first half stats and you look at the, the plays during the first half, they couldn't get off. They couldn't get passes completed downfield. Our DBs were awesome. What about how good is Kendrick? This is his first game, his first big test against a team with really great receivers. I think maybe one or two balls were caught by receivers where he was. I only saw him out of position, I think, two times in the whole game. He was great. He was fabulous. If we have him on one side and the rest of the rest of our defensive backs on the other side of the field, who, who are they going to throw? Who are they going to throw against? What what players are you going to throw the ball against with this defensive back? And look at the play of Nolan Turner. Nolan Turner playing the way he is. Then you throw in Johnson playing the way he is. Kayvon Wallace playing the way he is. This might be the best secondary we've had in a decade as well. Clemson's defense may actually be better this year than they were last year. And I know it's just two-game sample, but that two-game sample was against two Power 5 teams. And they both try to do very different and unique things with the football. And yet our defensive backs came through big time. I always wonder, I always like to pay attention to players who make mistakes early in the game and see how they respond. Nolan Turner made that mistake where he missed a tackle. It would have been fourth down. He would have tackled the um, the running back in the backfield. He misses the tackle in open space. The running back from Texas A&M gets a first down. So that that was that was his mistake. Well, from that point on, Nolan Turner turned it up. And that's the mentality that Clemson has. I love that mentality. You make a mistake, the next play is the most important play, just like the next game is the most important game. You made that mistake, it's time to move on. Next time you're going to make the play. And how many plays did he make after that? I don't think one pass that was thrown in his direction was caught downfield the rest of the game. He probably had two or three on PBUs during the ball game. On the offensive side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence looked great. I know he threw that pick. Now, the, the, the pick was on him. The interception that he threw at the end, if he would have thrown the ball a little deeper, that would have been a touchdown. So that was on him. I still think he's a little bit off with his receivers. But I think overall he played a very, very good game, running the ball and throwing the ball. He knew exactly when to run. There was only one play where he, he misread the um, read. He misread the read one time where Travis, Travis Etienne lost three yards. That was the only read this year that I've seen him um, get in correctly. 
between the Georgia Tech game and the Texas A&M game, I've only seen one bad read from Trevor Lawrence this year. One. And if he's making his reads correctly during this year, we're going to be unstoppable on offense. Clemson will be absolutely unstoppable. And he's only made one mistake with the read so far this year, and that was on that play. So he's running the ball pretty good. He's doing the reads very well. And then on top of that, his his pass when when the play breaks down, Trevor Lawrence, I think, reminds me of Peyton Manning in college. I know he wears sixteen because he he loves Peyton Manning, but he 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 throws the ball the way Peyton Manning did when a play broke down when he was at Tennessee. And that touchdown to Ross was just a beauty. That was all Trevor Lawrence. That was a hundred percent Trevor Lawrence making the play out of nothing. And the, the crazy thing is, is this is only his 13th start as a college quarterback. Wait till the middle of next season. Like when he, that, that's going to be when he's at his peak. So he's still learning, still evolving as a quarterback and to make plays like that. Now the receiver core yesterday made some great catches, but they had a lot of drops, man. Kayvon Wallace dropped a 15, to, actually it was a 25 yard pass. Justin Ross dropped two 15-yard passes, and Frank Ladson dropped about a 35-yard pass. If you add all of those up, you're looking at about almost 100 more yards passing that Trevor Lawrence would have had had those drops not taken place. So the receiving core is also not 100% right now. Like it, It's just a little, little bit tiny thing that they're missing right now between the quarterback and the receivers. And it, once they get that down, and I have no doubt that they will, Think about how good Clemson's offense is going to be. If Frank Ladson catches that ball, it's 31-3. to Then if Trevor Lawrence gets that ball a little bit deeper at the end of the game and it's not intercepted, it's called for a touchdown. You're talking about 38 points against Texas A&M. Clemson's offense should have put up more points and more yards. That should have been a 500-yard game without the small little mistakes by the receivers in the quarterback. Just small mistakes. But overall, Trevor Lawrence, I thought, played a very, very good game. He only got sacked a couple of times. He avoided the pressure a lot. He was able to get out and make plays downfield. Travis Etienne didn't have a lot of yards rushing, but look at Travis Etienne catching the ball out of the backfield. The one thing in his game that he didn't have that we talked about was he was not catching the football. And he was not, um, you know, running backs who can run the ball and can catch the ball are your best running backs. They're the ones that people want in the NFL. That was the one part of his game that people said does not make him the best back in college football. Well, yesterday in the Georgia Tech game, he caught passes out of the backfield. And he had over 52 yards receiving along with 53 yards rushing because they did everything they could to stop him from running the football. But those receiving yards yesterday were crucial, crucial receiving yards by Travis. And when he's out in space, oh my gosh, like how many how many players miss him um, when they're trying to tackle him when he's in space? How many how many yards after contact does he get when he's out out in the open and out in space? Yeah, I think yeah, I still think he's the best ever at Clemson besides C.J. Spiller out in the open. When he's out in the open, it's just unbelievable to watch. Um, Lynn J. Dixon, great. I, I, we see now why Feaster left Clemson. We see now why Feaster left Clemson. He left Clemson because he knew that Lynn J. Dixon is taking over at number two spot. And Lynn J. Dixon is good enough to start for most teams. He is phenomenal. I mean, when he's running the ball, you feel like there's no drop-off. 
And that, that's saying a lot because you have the best running back in college football as your starter. But when Lynn J. Dixon comes in, I don't think, oh, no, we're not going to be able to run the football now. They put Lynn J. Dixon in when they had the ball on their own one-yard line. I thought something was wrong with Travis Etienne, but no, the coaches felt confident that they could be just as successful with Lynn J. Dixon as they can with Travis Etienne. If he runs the ball the way he did Saturday, Clemson is going to have a lot of blowouts. He will have a shot in a 15-game schedule of having 1,000 yards, along with whatever Travis Etienne ends up with. I'm not saying he'll do it. I'm not saying he'll get that because he is the number two back. But if he runs like he did Saturday, in a lot of these games that we're going to start seeing a lot of blowouts, he could get 1,000 yards rushing. The receiver standpoint, the catch by T. Higgins, the, the good thing for the receiver standpoint, that, that catch by T. Higgins was just unbelievable. I don't understand why he is not rated in the top five by a lot of these um, experts, like top five college receivers. You don't even see his name. I don't even know what, what is wrong with him. They must be watching a different game than I am. I feel like if Clemson needed him to, he could do the same things that Judy's doing at Alabama. Clemson doesn't need T. Higgins to do that much. They need him to make plays here and there, but they don't need him to be the primary you know, target all the time because they have so many great receivers and so many great running backs. I think if Clemson required him to do that, he would be putting up those numbers. He's not putting up those numbers because he's not required to. On the defensive side of the ball with 3-3 or 3-2-5, 3-3-4, I feel like the defensive line did a great job getting rushed with only three linemen running, rushing the quarterback and containing Mon, as I said earlier. Like just keeping him contained just caused all kinds of problems. I'm just, man, I, got, I went back to the defense because I'm so ecstatic by the defense, man. I'm just, the, the play on Saturday, I was expecting Texas him to score some points. I mean, I wasn't expecting to be 24 to 3 with 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That is the, the furthest from my expectation. I thought the Texas A&M was going to put up some yards, put up some points, and it was going to be a uh, 40. I thought that we were going to win by more than 20 points, but I thought that they were going to put up like 21 points, 24 points against Clemson, something like that. I thought we were going to win something like 45 to 21. We should have won 38 to 10 because we should have had those two touchdowns. But And I felt like the game wasn't as close as the final score indicated. I felt like Clemson dominated that game. And that, that to me, that, that says a lot about how good this team is. Texas A&M is the number 12 team in the country, and Clemson beat the crap out of them. Now we're going to go over some of the other thoughts that I have in college football because there was some crazy stuff that went on this weekend that we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about that next. Now I got home late. Um, due to some traffic issues in Clemson after the game. But I've watched some of the highlights from the Texas LSU game. I'm always amazed when the SEC teams do something that every other team can do, they build it up to be the greatest thing ever. Every year, Big 12 teams put up 38, 45 points against Texas. And, and nobody blinks an eye, they just say it's just bad defense. The whole Big 12 
puts up a lot of points against Texas. They put up a lot of points against Oklahoma. Nobody bats an eye. Nobody, they don't make a big deal out of it. LSU put up 45 points, and now you would think that their quarterback and their team is just an awesome offense. Well, why is it when the Big 12 does that? It's because those teams have bad defenses. But when the SEC does that to a Big 12 team, it's because that SEC team has a great offense. This is a perfect example of how media-driven narratives, they can drive a narrative that's completely false and just overrate teams. So now LSU is going to get this huge movement up that if, if, if Oklahoma State beats Texas, they're not moving into the top five. LSU beats Texas, they move into the top five, and now they're the big they're the big talk of college football. Some of the analysts on ESPN wanted to move them to number one. Think about that. Clemson just beat Texas A&M and beat the crap out of them with less than 300 yards total offense. And they wanted to move LSU ahead of Clemson after they gave up 38 points. They gave up over 400 yards passing the Texas, and they call themselves DBU. I guarantee you, Texas will not have 400 yards passing against Clemson this year. Guarantee you. That once again, the hype when SEC teams do something, when SEC teams make plays, when, when SEC teams win big games, they overvalue those wins compared to other schools. They wouldn't be overvaluing Oklahoma State for beating Texas. They wouldn't. They don't because they've done it before, and they haven't overvalued them. But here comes LSU. So now when LSU loses three games or two games, they're still going to be in the top ten because they pushed them way ahead of where they could be. They're not as good as Oklahoma. They're not as good as Ohio State. They're not as good as Clemson. They're not as good as Georgia. They're not as good as Alabama. But they're pushing them ahead of these teams. So when one of these teams beats them, they're only going to drop two or three spots in the polls. It's a joke. And once again, it's a media-driven narrative about the SEC. The SEC, since 2016, has a losing record now to the ACC. And they're only one game over 500 against the Big Ten. But yet, yet this crazy narrative of LSU being just as good as Georgia and Bama, let's put them all together. They could all three make the playoffs. We're starting to hear that once again. Every year we hear this crap. Could three SEC teams make the playoffs? No. They're not as good as those other teams. This is crazy. But because they're in the SEC, they get a free pass. I got news for you. LSU is not going to beat Alabama. They're going to lose another game on their schedule at least. At best, they're going to be 10-2, probably 9-3. They are not that good. They gave up over 400 yards passing. I promise you, elite defenses would not give up over 400 yards this year to Texas. But you think the defensive backs at Clemson will give up over 400 yards? Nope, not happening. That was not elite. And your offense has, still hasn't proven anything to me by getting all those yards against Texas. Because once again, this is a Big 12 defense, and all I hear from you guys is how bad Big 12 defenses are, so don't brag about that. That's not a big deal to me. Let's talk about this North Carolina football team. This is the second thought that I had. 
I'm not surprised that North Carolina is winning. I'm surprised that they're winning as early as they are because they've actually played two Power 5 teams. There's only three teams that have won games against two Power 5 teams so far, Hawaii, North Carolina, and Clemson. There's only three. So I'm, I'm not surprised that they're winning. I'm surprised that they're winning this early. But I thought that it was going to be a quick turnaround for them within like two years being really good because look at their recruiting class under Fedora. Under Fedora, they had top 25 recruiting classes consistently. With top 25 recruiting classes, and then you add in a good head coach like Mac Brown, you're going to win some games. And then you you put that in, and you compare that to who he coached against in those first two games. His first game was Will Muschamp. His second game was the the, the new coach at Miami, who's winless. He's done he's done nothing, nothing. And this is one, once again one of these teams that that there's a narrative about them. They, they automatically assume that Miami was going to be great with Diaz. How, how can you assume that? What, what has he ever done as a head coach to make you think that? Once again, a narrative of certain people in college football is being proven false. False narrative. Mac Brown is a better coach than him. Mac Brown outcoached him yesterday. He has not proven himself as a head coach yet. And right now he's 0-2. And I'm seeing people say that the best 0-2 team in football, that's what Miami's become. You you hired him to be the best 0-2 team in football. Miami has had top 10 recruiting classes five of the last seven years. There's players at Miami. They should have won both of those games that they lost. His coaching was one of the reasons why they lost. And speaking of state of Florida, Florida State, I mean, it's sad, but I, I actually saw something on Twitter the other day. Florida, Yesterday, somebody said Florida State upset Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> Florida State upset Louisiana Monroe. Like, that's what they posted on Twitter. Like, And then, of course, there's the, the picture that everybody's talking about with the receiver that was lined up backwards. That picture, to me, is just an example of the state of Florida State's program in 2019. Texas A&M fans, this is going to be your future. Jimbo Fisher left that program. Jimbo Fisher should be ashamed of what he did to Florida State. He left that program in shambles. And then they hired Willie Taggart, who's never won anywhere. He hasn't won. He's had a few good seasons, but if you're not going to be a coach at a program for more than three years, you can't say you won. You weren't there long enough to be a winner. He hasn't proven to be a consistent winner anywhere. This is Florida State. This is their fault. They pushed Bobby Bowden out a few years before he wanted to retire so that they could have Jimbo Fisher. Then Jimbo Fisher did everything he could to protect Jameis Winston, and Florida State let them. Instead of kicking him out of school for the things he did, they just they allowed him to do whatever he wanted, get away with it, because he brought them a national title. If you make your bed with the devil, you've got to sleep with the devil. And Florida State made their bed with the devil. They were willing to win the wrong way. And now they're paying for that today. I don't feel pity for them. I don't care if they only have two and three star recruits right now. 
I want Clemson to put up 70 against them this year because Florida State sure as heck didn't care all those years when they were throwing up 50s and 40-point games against Clemson. They didn't give a damn, so neither do I. I want Clemson to throttle them. And I this week, this week coming up, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they play Louisville. Louisville's a better team because they got a better coach. They got a really good coach. Just look at the program at App State if you want to see what good coaching is. That's what Louisville has now. I'm telling you right now, Louisville can beat Florida State. Louisville can beat Florida State. If I'm not mistaken, that's the game. Isn't that the game this week? I think it's Louisville and Florida State, but I think Louisville can beat Florida State. I feel no pity. None. You made your bed with the devil. And then you hire uh, an unproven coach that hasn't won anything. You hire an unproven coach. He had one season at Oregon. So he had one season in a Power 5 school when he's 75. You're telling me you couldn't go after a big-time coach and get a big-time coach to come to Florida State? Florida State deserves this. And no matter who you get, no matter how good they are, you don't have the talent there right now to immediately win, or the offensive line. The offensive line talent is horrendous. So it doesn't matter who you bring in. It's going to take years for you to come up. You know what? You deserve it. You've got, And now they're talking about Kendall Browse. You're going to bring in the son of the coach who protected his players from, protected his players from investigations of rape. And you, you think that he don't – <laughs> folks, he's the son and he was on the staff at Baylor when all this was happening under Art Browse. Kendall Browse was on that staff. All this was happening at Baylor, player after player being accused of rape, protecting those players, not, not only not kicking them out, but not even suspending them, letting them play. So you went from Jimbo Fisher – and now you're going to go to Kendall Brow? That's what you're talking about? People who hire dirty coaches just to win always pay for it in the end. And you're going to pay for it in the end because you are going to suffer because of this. Why are you going? Why are you even considering? Because I'm hearing a lot of talk out of Florida State that they're going to move Kendall Browse to the head coaching position before years out. Why would you even consider that? This is another Jimbo Fisher. You're going to win for a while. I'm sure at some point he'll win. But in the long run, what are you going to do to your program? Because when he decides it's time for me to leave, it's time for me to cut tail and leave, and you're left in the same position again, then what? Horrible, horrible, horrible decision-making by Florida State. The Michigan Army game. Michigan beats Army 24-21. A lot of people making fun of Michigan. Well, they only beat Army 24-21. You guys don't get it. Like, Army is a very, very good team. That right now is probably a top 25 football team. 
and the offense they run is very hard to compete against. I will, I will, if, if Army played in the Big Ten, I think they would be a 5-3 and three or 6-2 and two team. If they were in the ACC, same thing. SEC, same thing. You tell me Army can't beat Ole Miss or Mississippi State? You tell me they can't beat Purdue or Indiana? You tell me they can't go out west and, and beat somebody like Oregon State and Arizona, Arizona State? That is not a bad win for Michigan. Last year, Army took Oklahoma to overtime. But Army, what are you doing? Why throw that pass when you're up 14 to 7? I was so disappointed in Army. Like, you only had one pass thrown in the game. Why didn't you run the ball? You could have gone up 21. If if Army would have ran the ball there, they would have won the game. They throw a pass at the seven yard line, intercepted. That's not what you do, that's not who you are. If Army would have won that game, we could be looking at Army as the um, representative of the uh, mid-major conferences in the ballgames or independents in the ballgames because I think they would have gone 12-0 if they would have won that game. Horrible, horrible decision-making. But a lot of it, I think that offensive coordinators, I've said this before, they think too damn much. They think way too much. Just do what you're doing until the other team can show that they can stop you. Just do what you're doing. Don't change it. Why change what you're doing if you're successful doing it? I, for the life of me, cannot understand this. Stop doing that. Clemson, for years under Chad Morris, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. 60 yards down the field, then all of a sudden wide receiver screen pass. Why? Just keep running the ball. An army of all people, you should know that. Come on, guys. Are you kidding me? Our friends in Columbia had a game against Charleston Southern this week. I'm hearing a lot of excitement because they had Helensky quarterback and joiner. They put up 72 points. Now, I do think South Carolina is going to be better. I do think South Carolina is going to win some more games with those because I think they are better quarterbacks than Jake Bentley. I think we all agree with that. But I'm going to caution the Gamecock fans on something. Charleston Southern had to evacuate their university. Charleston Southern had to practice in Columbia, but they had to stay in Charlotte. So every day they had to drive over an hour and a half on a bus to Columbia just to practice. The day of the game, they had to leave Charlotte and go to Columbia because they couldn't find any other hotel that could take them in the Columbia area because of the evacuation. If you're in a position like they are, you're a one double A school. You're having to drive every day, an hour and a half, just to be able to practice. And then you have to play a game an hour and a half away from your hotel room, which happens to be four hours away, four and a half hours away from your university. Believe me, I know that drive from Charleston to Charlotte. It is not a fun drive. Unless you're 
understand something. They were going through a lot worse as a team and were not totally prepared for that game. And I know some Gamecock fans don't want to hear that. You're just a Clemson fan saying it. I'm just cautioning you that that score is not indicative of how good you are or how bad they are. Because I'm telling you, they were dealing with some things that you weren't, that put them in a tough position. This has already caused an unrealistic expectation in Columbia. I'm already seeing people say that we can compete with Alabama. Are you kidding me? Alabama's going to win this game by at least 20 points. And what I'm concerned with is the way Jake Bentley was treated, what's going to happen when these young quarterbacks start making mistakes? You've got, right after Alabama, you've got Kentucky who's playing better than people thought. Kentucky might beat Florida this week. They're playing better than people thought. Kentucky can beat South Carolina. Right now, I would compare Kentucky to South Carolina and say Kentucky's better. Then you got to play Missouri with Kelly Bryant, who is playing phenomenal. Kelly Bryant is playing great right now. Kelly Bryant is proven he can pass the ball. He wants to be in the NFL as a quarterback, and if he continues to play this way, he will be drafted. Then you play Florida during the year. You play Georgia. Play that Texas A&M game, team that played Clemson on Saturday, and you play Clemson. What are you going to do when these quarterbacks make mistakes? Because you've already, you've already got Jake Bentley and his family flustered. I mean, some of the reports about some of the things on campus that were done to him and his girlfriend. What are you going to do when these other quarterbacks make mistakes? I'm just cautioning you, Gamecock fans. A lot of y'all are excited. 72 points. It's the most you've scored in a long time. You think that you're going to win games now with these quarterbacks. I do think you will be better because I do think that they're better than Bentley. But they're not world beaters. If they were world beaters, they would have been starting already. I'm hearing comparisons to Helensky as the next Trevor Lawrence. He's like, are you kidding me? You're already comparing him to a quarterback that's 13-0 as a starter and won a national championship? Based on what? I think you guys are going to be in for a rude awakening coming up against Bama. I'm just giving you the heads up. I think that Bama is going to roll on Saturday against you guys. And then we're going to be right back into the same cycle we were before, frustration and anger with the um, Gamecock um, fan base. Syracuse is the one team so far this year that I've gotten on the on the negative side. North Carolina's been great, and I thought they were going to be down this year. And Syracuse is horrible, and I thought they were going to be very good this year. Wow, I, I didn't realize that their defense was going to fall off that much. They can't tackle. Like, it, they had so many opportunities. Like, Maryland, I, I know people who are, like, I, one of my good friends in, that I work with, his name is Alex. He's a big Maryland guy. But Maryland would not have scored nearly as many points if the Syracuse players could simply tackle. And now you're going to play Clemson and your quarterback. What? I heard so many good things about this guy. This guy's horrible. Like, he was horrible against 
Liberty. You're playing Liberty. You should be able to put up 40, 50 points. I guarantee you Wake Forest would have put up 40, 50 points against Liberty. And then you go into Maryland, which I was thinking, this is an opportunity for Syracuse to show up. And if they win against Maryland, they're going to have game day next week for the Clemson game. What a big opportunity for your program to show what you've done. And then you throw an you, you throw an egg like 63 to 20? Are you kidding me? I was so disappointed in them. Like, I was so, first of all, I was disappointed because it, it, it was going to be an opportunity for Clemson to play two top 20 teams in a row. So, because we always have to put up with people knocking Clemson's schedule. I was so excited about Syracuse. And then they, 63 to 20, like, Come on, maybe a school like Syracuse is a school where you're going to have your ups and your downs. You're going to consistently be up and down based on your quarterback play and based on how many players you return for defense. Maybe it's just schools like that that are always going to be like that. I don't know, but I know it. there shouldn't have been that much of a drop-off unless it's just that they have so much inexperience. They can't because last year they were not this. But they they were very good on defense. And then the drop off in quarterback play. I mean, my gosh, are you kidding me? You're that bad. Clemson should put up over 600 yards of offense this week, and well over 50 points. Seven or eight touchdowns should be scored. I think it's going to be similar to the 2016 game. Clemson won 54 to nothing over Syracuse, similar to some of those games with Taj Boyd, quarterback Clemson when they went to the um, Carrier Dome, and something they blew out. You know, Syracuse scored a lot of points. I think it's going to be similar to that this week. Now, as far as the teams that I got right in the ACC, so far Boston College and NC State, I've gotten right. NC State looks great on defense. They look like they're going to be a solid defensive team. That's what I thought. They were going to have a good defensive team. And that defensive team is going to carry them with a new quarterback. But a new quarterback looks really good. And then Boston College, they're the team that I've been telling people. I said during the my first broadcast, they can be a 10-2 to 11-1 team this year. They can beat Notre Dame this year. I think they're going to be 7-0 when they play Clemson. And I do think they're going to be in the top 15 when they play Clemson. So the people that say Clemson's not going to play a top 25 team, I think you're wrong. Because Boston College will be in the top 25. Boston College looks really, really good this year. They look like a team that's ready to roll. First of all, Dylan seems to be healthy. Their offensive line, I heard people talk about how they're, they're losing offensive line, but they always have good offensive lines. In Boston College, even when they're not good, you can count on them to have a good physical offensive line at Boston College. Adagio is always going to have to do good on the offensive line. Then the other team that I said I thought was going to be a 75 to 84 team is Wake Forest. And Wake Forest in North Carolina this week is going to be a really exciting matchup that I can't wait for. I think, and, and the crazy thing is, it's a non conference game. They're just playing each other because they want to make sure they play each other because, they, because of the stupid ACC rules. They don't get to play each other that often. The Wake Forest in North Carolina is actually a game that I'm excited to watch. I think this is going to be a great game, and this is 
type of game, they determine which one of these teams wins eight or nine games and which one of these teams wins six or seven games. Because I think this is a huge opportunity for both teams to move up and to be potentially, you know, a, a, po- a team that finishes the year in the top 25. And Wake, Wake Forest, that win against Utah State, folks. Utah State is a top 25 team, went 11-2 last year, finished in the top 25, preseason top 25 by a lot of people. Wake Forest beats them, then they go on the road. I know they were playing a scrub program like Rice, but they did what they were supposed to do, and they beat them down. They look really, really good. So I got that one right, got the NC State one right, got the Syracuse one I was way off on. And I just, I, I'm just still stunned. And, I, and from, like I said, from the from the other spectrum, I got North Carolina wrong as well. I thought North Carolina was looking at a 2-10 and 10 type season. But I think North Carolina's proven, obviously, with the South Carolina win and then beating Miami the next week, last night, they're much better than I thought. Um, some of the other thoughts out of Florida in the SEC is a team that I got wrong. I thought Florida was going to be better. I've always said Florida. Florida's always overrated to me. They're another one that benefits from the narrative, but I thought they were going to be better than this. I'm not impressed by this at all. What I saw, what I saw against Miami, if they play like that, they're going to be 8 14. That's a game that, if it was for the South Carolina fans out there listening, if you want your program to be 75 this year, you got to find a way to beat Florida. But Florida's got to correct it. The thing about Florida is their quarterback, Felipe Franks, he has a great game, and then the next game he sucks. He's just got to get his act together and be more consistent. But those are some of the teams that um, we talked about in my first broadcast, and as far as, you know, which teams were going to be good, which teams were going to be bad, and just want to give you an update about you know where we stand on that. I always want to be accountable for if I get something wrong or if I get something right. Um, want to make sure that we are accountable for that um, as a podcast and as a host. So those are the early season returns on the teams that we discussed on our week one broadcast. All right, folks. So that has been our fourth podcast on everything Clemson sports. Just want to say thank you for bearing with me. I know we were going to do this every Wednesday, but because of the hurricane, um, preparing for the hurricane, my work has impacted the hurricane impacted us in Florida, where we get our packages from, and they impacted us at our site in Charleston. So we were impacted both weeks. So I was out um, doing stuff for work, though, um, previous Wednesday and then this past Wednesday we were evacuated from the Charleston area. So just want to thank everybody for bearing with me and I appreciate you listening to our podcast. Um, next or this Wednesday, we'll go back to our normal schedule, have a normal show this Wednesday. I do want to um, cover the best defensive performances I've ever seen by Clemson players. I know I promised that um, we were going to do that on our fourth broadcast that Wednesday. So we're going to, do that this Wednesday. Then we're going to look ahead. I'm going to get predictions to the games this upcoming week. Also probably going to go over some stats from players that at Clemson that are in the NFL this week. I know Sammy Watkins had a big game today, and Deshaun Watson plays on Monday night against the New Orleans Saints. And now that Deshaun Watson has an offensive line, just interested to see what his production totals are going to be with good receivers and a good offensive line this year. So we'll go, we'll go cover that and um, continue – 
talking about the Clemson-Syracuse game and what we expect to see, and I'll give you my predictions as far as the stats from that game and the score on this Wednesday night. So I just want to say a big thank you to everybody. Please tell your friends about this, especially if you're a Clemson fan, even if you're not. I cover um, other teams as well, make predictions on other teams, and speak to other programs as well. So please, please give me consideration, and please get your friends to listen. So y'all have a great day. Thank you for listening to everything Clemson Sports Podcast. Go Tigers.